morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, my name is Ben. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. And today uh, we're going to be continuing in our series called Set Apart, and it's a study in the book of First Peter. But before we jump in, uh, just would you join me with a word of prayer? Our Father, we uh, thank you for this time together. We thank you for, I thank you for these, these people who have gathered uh, together to worship you, to, uh, to look to Jesus Christ, to hear the gospel and to have it applied to our life. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work this morning doing just that, making Christ known to us, making the heights and the depths and the widths and the breadth of your love known to us, Lord, so there would change us, that it would reach places in our hearts that haven't been reached before, and that we would uh, leave this place uh, just increasingly submitting all of life to your Lordship. Lord, I pray for uh, this message as I speak. I pray that it will be your words and not mine, uh, that you would say what you want said. I pray for each ear to hear what you'd have us hear, uh, and and just do a work in our hearts, Lord, uh, that we would be a people that are hearing the gospel together and rejoicing over the gospel together and pressing the gospel into one another and just elevating and, uh, and, and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ among ourselves and as we go. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so there was this thing that we used to do when I was a kid, and I think most of you are probably familiar with it. Uh, and it, it just kind of goes like this, right? You go, here's the church. You familiar? Here's the church, here's the steeple, you open the doors, and there's all the people. Familiar with that? Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and there's all the people. I used to love that when I was a little kid. I don't know why, it only takes a couple seconds to do it, but I used to do it all the time. It wasn't even like we were really a part of a church a lot of times. But anyways, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and there's all the people. It's kind of cute, we like it. But this morning, I just want to go ahead and throw something on the table. It's wrong. This is wrong, right? And it matters. It matters because how we think about and how we understand the church will dictate what this church looks like, right? And that matters because it's precisely through what this church looks like that the world around us will see Jesus, right? So this church, steeple, open the doors, and here's all the people. If that's the way we think about church, I'm saying it's wrong, and it matters that we think about it rightly, because it's precisely through what this church looks like that the world around us will view Jesus. That's how they will see Jesus, and it should be. Here's the church, right? Here's the people. Here's the church. Here's the body of Christ through which God is made known. That's, I mean, that's really all there is to it. The church is not a building. Redemption Church is not this building. And it's not only because we don't have a steeple out front, right? But Redemption Church is not this building. We're a people. Church is not on Sundays, right? This, what we're doing right now, this is not church. I know we say it. I say it. What are we doing today? We're going to church, right? I know we say that. But church is not on Sundays. This is a gathering of the church This is a gathering of the people. This is a gathering of the body of Christ. And church is not a place. Church is not a time. The church is the people. 
who together make up the body of Christ so that the world can look at the church and then they see Christ and therefore they see and they know God. So there's three sections here in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. We've been in this passage for uh, two weeks. This is our third week and this is our final week in this passage. Uh, but there's three sections that I want us to focus in on today as we go through this. Uh, the first one is just real brief, but it's verses 4 through 5. And it says this, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In those verses, Peter says to these elect exiles, to the letters to, to these sojourners, to these children of God who live among a people that are not worshipers of their God, what he says to them is that together they are being built up as stones for a house, right? And we need to notice that it's not like, it's not a house for them to dwell in. That's not what it, it's not talking about that. It's not they're being built up into a house for them to dwell in so you open the doors. That's not the thing. The house isn't being built to hold the people. The people are the stones that make up the house. And to what end? Not so that the people dwell there, but to be a, a, a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices. Right? So the job of the priest in the Old Testament is to make sacrifices on behalf of the people so that God can dwell among them and be known by his people, right? The priest would make sacrifices on behalf of the people so that God could, a holy God, could dwell amongst a people who were unholy. So the sacrifices were making them holy so that God could dwell amongst their people and be known by his people. And what we see here in 1 Peter is that this is what we've been called to as followers of Christ, being a priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, to be the dwelling place of Christ in order to make him known to others, right? Not one of us alone is a priest all by ourselves exactly. We are a priesthood together. So we're going to have to ask the question of what sacrifices are we making on behalf of others because of the sacrifices that Jesus made on our behalf and on their behalf. How are we together making the good news of Christ known? That's the question we have to ask is how are we together as a church making Christ known to others? That's what a priesthood does is they make Christ known to others. They make God known to other people. The second section that I want us to look at, I said that would brief, be brief. This is closely related, though. The second section that I want us to look at, uh, again, is at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And it close, like I said, it's closely related. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's one of my favorite lines in the Bible. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the language in these verses is also found in Exodus 19. As God called the nation of Israel to be out of Egypt, 
right, and to be his people and to be his priesthood, a people who were called out of and were set apart from and who were set apart to. And often in Jewish tradition, uh, when, talking about, uh, when, when talking about the exodus from Egypt, they would refer to it as being called out of darkness and into light. Right? Talking about that time where they were delivered from Egypt, they would refer to it as being called out of darkness and into light. And, 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 this, and Exodus 19 shares language here with 1 Peter. 1 Peter shares the language of Exodus 19. The darkness was this time, just remember this, the darkness was this time where the Israelites lived under the oppressive thumb of Egypt, right? They owned them. The Egyptians owned them. They were their slaves. They were the possession of the Egyptians. Joseph being the first one of them sold into slavery into Egypt. And the light is when God delivered them from Egypt by way of plagues, death, blood, and then water. Right? And he didn't just deliver them, but made them a people for his own possession. Right? Do you see the, the correlation here? They were under the oppressive thumb of Egypt. They were Egypt's possession, and God delivered them from that, called them out, and made them his own possession. And that was the light. That's what they referred to as light. And God called them a priesthood in Exodus 19. He took them to the promised land. He made them a nation. He made them a people of his own possession in order to make God known to other nations, his own priesthood, to make God known, to make the name of God famous. And while we know that Israel didn't exactly do this, like, intentionally, they didn't actually do that great, right? They often strayed and they worshipped the gods of other nations instead of making God known to the other nations. Still, God did use them to make his name famous. He still used them to be his priesthood. It's because of Jesus, who's the true and better Israel, that we are now able to become a part of the people of God, to become a part of this royal priesthood, to be known as God's people. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people, and that's been done through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, the true and better Israel, we have become part of his family. And what I want us to see, why I go through all that, what I want us to see here is that many of these exiles and sojourners that, uh, that Peter was writing to, they lived among a Gentile people, a people who did not know God, a people who do not worship God. They worship other gods, and a people who are in darkness, that do not know God. That is darkness. And so Peter's language here is picking up on God's call to Israel to make God known to the nations. And he's showing that it's also the call on those who have become God's people through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's even us, our call is to be a priesthood and to make spiritual sacrifices, and our call is to make Christ known where they are, where we are, and to the foreign people where they live, so that they can know God, become part of the body of Christ, the church, the people for God's own possession, which looks like this. And people see this, and this is the body of Christ, and it points to who God is. Now, what I love about, I said this is one of my favorite passages, my favorite verses. What I love about verse 9 and 10 is that it so tightly, like, intermingles the idea of being, right? Of being called out of, and who we, who we are, and being called to mission, the doing. It so closely relates the, the being set apart from and the being set apart to or the set apart for 
God. You've been called out of darkness that you may proclaim. You've been called out of darkness that you may proclaim. I mean, there's not even a breath between the statements. This is what I've been called you for. This is what, why I've made you my possession is to proclaim who I am. And what I want us to remember this morning as we consider this relationship between being called out of darkness and, and that you may proclaim is that this isn't written to an individual. I read you talked a lot about community last week. I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about that. But this isn't being written to an individual. This is to a people, right? I mean, there's no way to isolate a part of this and make it about an individual when the whole passage is very much speaking to a people and to us as a people. Verse 9, but you are, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He's talking to a people. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Both of these parts are very much pointed at people and community. I think we could agree on that. So we can't take one line from between them and make it only speak to the individual. It's really saying, you are a people that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. All I'm saying is, I think we have a tendency sometimes to take the line and take the deal and just take all the responsibility upon ourselves. That we've been called out of darkness and into marvelous light. That is true on an individual basis, right? And it is true that we must proclaim the gospel, even on an individual basis. But what Peter's getting at and what we're going to get at this morning is that we do that best together. And that we've been called to that together, to proclaim it together, and it. It's in this, it's in the people that Christ is best seen. We are made into a people through Jesus, and it's a huge thing. It's so clear today in our country, right, and, and around the world, how we always fail to unite when we're left our own ways and our own devices. We can't find common ground strong enough to make the left or the right uh, politically come together. Right? We, we can't find common ground strong enough to make that happen in a lasting way. We can't find common ground strong enough to bring black people and white people together, especially here in the South. We often can't find common ground even in the church. We can't find common ground strong enough to keep us from splitting because of like carpet colors or music selection or curriculum choices, or the model we use for small groups, or missional communities, or Sunday school. I know that's true because I've been through a church split. We can't find common ground on our own that's strong enough to, strong enough to unite us. Like, we always fail. It's a good intention, but we always fail on our own. And that's why this passage is so powerful, and what I want us to get at this morning is because it reveals that it is only in and through Christ that we can be reconciled to God and to each other. It's only through Christ that we're reconciled to God and each other. There's no other way. He's the only ground sure enough. His is the only blood that makes us of one blood and makes us one people. And as we together make spiritual sacrifices, laying down our idols at the feet of Christ together and making Christ known to each other, it is in our oneness, in our reconciled state, that we best proclaim the excellencies of Christ and make him known. It's as we are reconciled together that the world will be like, something's working there. 
that the rest of the world can't make work. It's in our reconciled state that we'll best proclaim the excellencies of Christ, who's made a way for us to be reconciled to God and to each other. We are saved to the family of God for the purpose of proclamation together. So when the world looks at the church, what does it see? Does it see four walls and a steeple and some people inside? Or does it see a people who really have no business being a people? Like, it just almost doesn't make any sense. A people who are black and white and red and yellow and so on and are truly unified through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do they see that when they look at the church, when the world looks at the church, when the world looks at God's people? Do they see a people where some came from money, some came from nothing, some came from an educated background, some are blue-collar fishermen, but who are all in one family and who've been reconciled through Jesus Christ, do they see that? Or do they see the four walls and a steeple and some folks inside? Do they see a people where men and women are valuing and loving each other as chosen and precious? Did you pick up on that language? Like, you rejected by by others, but you're chosen and precious by God. That's just good news. Is this a place, is it a church Is the church a place where people listen to each other and speak truth to each other and are still able to have and to to enjoy one another and to have fun with one another? Because that's not happening anywhere else. Right? Is the church going to be a place where people are striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel? That's Philippians 127. When Paul calls us to strive side by side together for the faith of the gospel. Or where people are earnestly loving one another. That was in 1 Peter 1.22 that we went over a couple weeks ago. Where people are bearing each other's burdens, Galatians 6.2. See, it's only through Christ that we can do any of those things. It's only through Christ that will reconcile us and make us go there with one another. The last section that I want us to look at is 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. And it has to do with how, we're, how we proclaim the excellencies of Christ back into the darkness from which we were called. How do we do it? 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know what? I'm a a dude, and I don't like reading instructions. Um, Maybe some of you are like that. I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with reading instructions as I get older because of all my past mistakes. So, for instance, uh, it was one time right after, it was either right, I can't remember, it was either right before or right after Claire and I, got married, but we were getting our first apartment squared away, right? And we bought this big entertainment center from Walmart so that we could put our 200-pound, 20-inch TV in it and all our VHSs. I'm serious. We 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 bought a new VHS player. Anyways. It was one of those, uh, it was one of those entertainment centers where they, like, glue a bunch of dust together and, like, call it wood, and then they, like, give you a bunch of little plastic parts and, like, a million plastic parts, and they all, like, twist and turn just a little, and maybe some little, like, wooden dowels, 
uh, and there's no glue or anything. Anyways, so we got this big thing. It had all kinds of shelves. There were some doors on the bottom. There's like shelves over here for the stereo, something there for the big TV. There was like a place for our DVDs and VHSs on the side, some CDs on the other side. And uh, I, I was building cabinets at the time for a living, so I figured I don't need instructions on somebody telling me how to build a box. I do this every day. You know, so... Psh, uh, now, I think I looked them over, kind of got the gist, because there's like a billion parts. But uh, I was like, I don't need that. So I put the thing together, and in the end, I had a box, but uh, none of the shelves would actually fit anywhere, and the doors went in the right spots. And so I had to take, I remember having to take the whole thing, I mean, it took hours to do that, and then I took the whole thing back apart, and I had to look at the instructions, right? Eventually, we, we had a really crappy entertainment center that we loved. Anyways, that's a long illustration just to say that I often think uh, that when we read passages like this that I just read, uh, that we kind of read it like I read instructions. We just want to like grab what we think we need and we move on, right? Just kind of get the gist and move on. And these passages are throughout scripture, but these are the ones we, we can skip over very easily and we skip the context very easily. So here we might, we've been getting a lot of stuff, but came out of like one of my favorite passages right before that. So this one is just kind of like tagged on to the end of it. We might skip beloved. Like we don't have to read that part. I mean, we read it, but we don't have to acknowledge it. That seems like a filler word. Peter wants us to know that he can write big words, you know. Uh, and then we skip sojourners and exiles because we kind of got that point already, whatever. Uh, we, we know that we kind of just look at who it's written to so that we can check that off the list, but we know it's really to us, and so we just move on past it, Right? So skip sojourners and exiles because we already know that. And then also we can rush to the end of the sentence so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right? We, that's just more filler stuff. We just want the meat of the verse. We just need to know what we need to get from the instructions. We can boil it down pretty quickly to just something like this. Abstain from the passions of the flesh and keep your, honor, your conduct honorable. Abstain from the passions of the flesh and keep your conduct honorable. But I think this is a mistake. I know this is a mistake. All the stuff we like to glance over matters tremendously or else we end up with like some uh, cattywampus entertainment center. Cattywampus. Without it, we start using this passage. Without that language, without getting the whole context, without getting the whole message, we start using this passage and others like it as a permission slip to start kind of judging each other. And just like I ended up with that crazy-looking entertainment center, we can end up kind of slipping into some futile, works-based religion that is sort of similar to Christianity, but is nothing like it at all. So let's just read it again kind of with a better understanding. Beloved, that's you who are the children of God. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Because you're going to be tempted to assimilate, right? To become part of the people you live amongst and do as they do. But they are in darkness and in need of light and you need light and you are mine. You are my people. So remember who you are. I'm out for your good. So keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, see your spiritual sacrifices, and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
so that they would know God, that they would see who God is and that he would be made known to them. What we begin to see and what we're going to unpack even more in the coming weeks is the, as Peter unpacks it in the following passages is that this is a call to live in the light of the good news like it's really good and for a couple reasons, for two reasons. First, it really is good for us. Everything else is waging war against our soul. The passions of the flesh, they wage war against our soul. But the good news is good for us. And the instructions that the scripture gives is good for us. It's how we were created to live real life. And the second reason is that this is how Christ is truly proclaimed as excellent. Because while we are sojourners and exiles, we are beloved. We are God's people. And how that changes like our lives together is how the body of Christ makes the invisible God known to others. Does that make sense? How he changes our lives is how the body of Christ makes the invisible God known to others. I want to try to make this just a little more tangible for us today and just ask, how is the church known now in this world? How is the church known today, right? One of the ones I hear the most, I've heard the most, is that it's full of hypocrites, right? I don't want to go to church. God's fine. I'm not going to church because all those people are a bunch of hypocrites, I've heard that one the most as I've talked to other people and try to uh, lead them to Christ and lead them, bring, invite them to church or whatever. People outside the church won't come to church because we're all a bunch of hypocrites. I know you've heard it. In retaliation, uh, the Christians made a bumper sticker at one point that said, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. Touche, church. <laughs> Way to stick it to the world. Come on, we all know that what they mean is that we judge and we hate others for the same things that we continue to do and hide. And they know it. It's transparent. We think we're hiding something, but we're not. So hypocrites. How else is the church known today from the outside? People call us judgmental and hateful. We're known for how we condemn those who don't live the way we think they should. Like many in the LGBTQ community won't come close to those in the church, right? They already know what the church is about. They know that we want them to close so we can tell them that they're disgusting and they're going to hell. At least that's what they're perceived because they've experienced that somewhere along the way. We don't have to take it that far because what if somebody in our own midst struggles with sexual addiction or pornography? That's real. What if somebody here is struggling with sexual addiction or pornography, and in a room this size, that's the case. People are struggling with it. Is there freedom to let people in on, like, on that? Is there freedom to let people in on that struggle that you have? Is there freedom without fear that they won't be able to be, like, like can, they, can they bring that out in the open without fear that they won't be allowed to participate in our community anymore? Or is there a fear of condemnation and judgment even from inside the body. I mean, it's not only how the world sees us, right? It's how we see ourselves, if we're honest. We hide things from each other. How else is the church known today? Divided. People look at the church and know it's divided. Dr. Martin Luther King said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. 
You've probably heard that before. And it is appalling. And that was decades ago. And it's still the case. And we're not just divided racially, we're divided denominationally. There's a ton of denominations. We can't work together. There's divisions among denominations, and we really have a hard time even identifying with each other half the time. And it's often the case, even in our town, where there's two churches, three churches of the same denomination within a block of each other who don't talk to each other and can't work together. The world sees the stuff, man. We're divided. What are they going to think of God? All right, that's gloomy. But what if, right? What if? What if the gospel's ministry of reconciliation was real among us? And I, I think it's just time, like, let's forget about talking about the church as a whole. Just bring it down to Redemption Church. What if the gospel's ministry of reconciliation was real among us at Redemption Church? What if we could openly confess and proclaim to one, or, one another, I'm a mess, yet deeply loved by God? Which is a message that B.J. Thompson of Build a Better Us just keeps putting out there on Twitter over and over again. You should follow him. He's got some good, some good words. What if we could openly confess and proclaim that to each other? I'm a mess. I'm sinful. I'm broken. I have stuff going on. I'm struggling, yet I'm deeply loved by God. What if we could confess that and proclaim it? To one another because we've heard the news of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what if we at Redemption Church really believed that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, which is in 1 Timothy 2.4? What kind of mess might we enter into if that was our belief and if we had the ability to confess and proclaim that together? Last Christmas, we Spent some time going through Matthew where, he, where Jesus quoted different prophets and we, we stopped where, uh, where Jesus is flipping the tables in the temple. Do you remember that? Jesus is flipping tables in the temple because they were a barrier for the Gentiles to come to know God. And he referenced scripture in Isaiah that spoke of a time when the scripture that he references in Isaiah references a time when foreigners and eunuchs would come into the family of God. And that's what Jesus quotes in the temple. So I have to believe he wants all those people who are currently under the oppressive thumb of all sorts of bondage, which is likely the same kind of bondage that we've been delivered from ourselves, right? The same types of things that we've been enslaved to, or maybe even still are, because the gospel hasn't been delivered to us there, or we haven't let it impact our lives there. I have to believe he wants all those people who are under the oppressive thumb of all sorts of bondage, where you and I didn't have mercy, but now we've received mercy. I have to believe he wants them to have mercy, where they once don't have, didn't have mercy. Things like sexual addiction of all sorts, pornography, substance abuse, addiction, to our own status, like it's not just the substances, right? To our own status, our own money, our own possessions, our security, our looks, our reputations, our achievements. We could be in bondage to all those things and people outside of here in bondage to all those things. What if you could just go ahead and confess to each other 
Like, what if you could go ahead and confess to each other that you have an addiction to pornography and need Jesus to deliver you desperately? And that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. What if you could just go ahead and and confess to each other that you have a tendency to want to be the hero for everything, right? Or that you want to be the greatest thing that ever happened to your circle of friends or to this church or to your work or whatever it is, that you really just want your own glory. What if you could confess that and say, I have a tendency for that? What would it look like to be able to deliver the gospel to each other in those places? Could we listen to one another with ears of Jesus? If somebody, op- somebody opened their mouth and confessed this stuff, can you listen with the ears of Jesus? Could you love each other while we're yet sinners? Could we and are we willing to enter into that kind of mess together? Like not only when we confess the sin either, like yeah, we know, but you're forgiven. Not just that part, but could we like partner with each other enough to get to know the root of each other's sins, to get to know the root and the tendencies of the idols that each one of us has so that we know what it looks like when we begin to listen to the lies of Satan, when we begin to know what it looks like for each other, when we know they're beginning to listen to the lies of Satan and beginning to turn to false idols. Will we be, can we partner together that way so we know each other that way, so we know when and how to speak the gospel? Because here's the deal. This is what it boils down to. Here's the deal. This is what I think Peter has for us in the way of mission in the Scripture. How the church proclaims the excellencies of Christ to each other is how Christ's excellencies will be best proclaimed to the world. If it's not happening here, it's not going to go out from here. And how we're able to effectively proclaim Christ to each other at Redemption Church is what Augusta is going to, to know of Christ through Redemption Church. Our building won't get that message out. No matter how cool it is, or how great our sign is, or how we utilize it, our building won't get the message out. Not one preacher will get the message out, not even if they're more skilled than the the, the few we have here. No marketing, no particular ministry model, or an event will get the job done the best. They're all good tools. I'm not saying that any of that's bad, But but the best, right? is how we proclaim the excellencies of Christ to each other. That's how Christ's excellencies will be known and how we'll be best proclaimed to Augusta through Redemption Church. What if? What if we made spiritual sacrifices together, like letting the blood of Jesus, Jesus just like drip over our political paradigms, over our racial biases, and over our generational and cultural gaps? so that we have ears to hear each other because of the one blood that made us one, that has made us one? What if we were able to lay ourselves down, assured of our identity in Christ, so that we could enter into conversation with others, able to be hurt for others instead of being hurt by others? That's hard. The best place to practice that is in the home. For those of you who are married especially, I try to practice it and I fail a lot. Can you listen? And when you feel ready to get angry or get ready to react, can you ask yourself, am I hurt for them or am I hurt by them? Because if it's by them, 
You can go back to Scripture and remember that you're a child of God. You're beloved and that Jesus loved you when you were hurting him. And that can give you freedom to love the way that he loves. And if you hurt for them, man, that's good news. Because then you may have a chance to speak the good news of Jesus to a specific hurt. Listen, the point is that we aren't going to fix the way the whole world sees the church. Like, we aren't going to fix the way the whole world sees the church. But it matters how we steward this local body of Christ. Right? The vision of Redemption Church isn't to get really big so that we will have the loudest voice, so that we can say the right things the right way, finally, you know, and then have everybody be like, get it straight, finally understand where we're coming from, and come join the, our church. That's, that's not the vision. It's not to get the loudest voice and finally say it right. The vision of Redemption Church, we say it a lot, is to lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. It's pretty ordinary. But it means entering into each other's lives with the gospel so that Jesus is made known to others through how he's making us more like him together, right? Look, this distinction between this vision or that vision matters. Whether we're going to be this big, louder voice or if we're going to be a people who lead people to Jesus, who lead people to Jesus, it matters because how we think about and understand the church will dictate what this church looks like, right? It matters because it's through what this church looks like that people will perceive Jesus. How we proclaim the excellencies of Christ to each other is how Christ's excellencies will best be proclaimed to Augusta through Redemption Church. It should be, right, here are all the people. Here's the church. How? How did that happen? Here's the body of Christ and that God has made known to those people. Because church is not a building. Church is not on Sundays. Church is not a time. Church is not a place. The church is a people. We together make up the body of Christ so that the world can look at the church and see Christ and therefore see and know God. Now, I just want to say, as I was even preparing this, I'm actually very encouraged by our church, too. I'm encouraged because I see that Christ is leading us in this way. Like, we've been pushing this way for a while, and I, I see the Spirit moving and, like, leading us in this way. I already see people pressing into each other's lives with the gospel. I see people opening up to one another to have, gos- have the gospel proclaimed to them. I see people confessing sin. I see people talking about where their struggles are and being willing to let others in and have the gospel pressed in. And I see where the Spirit is obviously leading many of you, many of us, into some areas of tension that are hard to go to. And that's my favorite, tension. Reggie and Brent, they all know this. It's one of my favorite words. But I see where the Spirit's leading us into some areas of tension, but I just want us, because I want us to lean into Christ and press into that tension together. It seems difficult, but tension creates an environment for powerful things to happen. And as we push each other to Jesus and proclaim the good news to one another, we will gain As we press into the hard stuff and into the mess, into the tension, we push each other to Christ through that. We proclaim the good news to one another through that. We will gain an experienced understanding of how excellent Jesus really is by how he's delivered us 
and continue to deliver us and how he's reconciled us to one another. We'll gain an understanding of how the good news has set us apart from the world and to God for others. Right? Set apart from the world to God for others so that others can know God. That's why we keep talking about becoming fluent in the gospel so much. We've been talking about it every week. And we've been workshops, and we're putting questions in the bulletins that are based on that. And people are doing it in their MCs. We're talking about it so much because we want you to be able to take the gospel to the unevangelized places of your heart and to the unevangelized places of each other's hearts as you increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the question is, I suppose... We're going to wrap it up. Is this the gospel that you know? And is this the Jesus that you want? Is this the church that you want? The one that calls you to each other and to enter into hard spaces with each other. Like nobody's saying it's going to be easy. Nobody, it's not, it doesn't say it's going to be easy in Scripture. I mean, it says to strive together, to bear burdens together, to earnestly love one another Right? Those are, those are hard words. <laughs> or do you want something else? Is that what you want or do you want something else? More of a one and done type of Jesus who won't keep pushing you to go deeper places with him, won't keep pushing you to go deeper with one another. That Jesus doesn't exist. And the truth is that the ministry of reconciliation to which we've been called, the priesthood that we've been called to is messy. And it's, there's no shortcuts. Making sacrifices is messy. And there's no shortcuts. It led Jesus to the cross. This ministry of reconciliation, this priesthood, led Jesus to the cross. And it doesn't get any messier than that. And he's our leader, and he's called us to pick up our cross and follow him. And the good news is that he rose again. And that he brought us, life, brought us to life with him, right? And so we know that there's beauty and that there's life to be mined from the trenches of the mess. Look what Jesus brought up from the grave. We are people who once were not a people. We were called out of dark darkness and into his marvelous light. And he can be trusted as he calls us back into the mess. We have got to trust him and push into the mess and follow him into it. Now we normally use these past three weeks for a purpose, vision, mission series. So the idea uh, this particular year was to go here and spend three weeks in, in this particular passage, uh, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12, which I think is like is our, our purpose is, is gospel community mission. And I don't know where it's any plainer in the Bible than right here. It's one of my favorite spots. The plan was just to go gospel community mission, and we've kind of done that. But the intention of, of it was to end with some sort of vision casting and talking about our desire to be a church planting church. And that's true. We want to be a church-planting church. In fact, we'd like to see that happen like in the next three years. And so we're going to start talking about church-planting more. We're going to start championing that more. You'll, we'll get there. However, if we're going to talk about church-planting, before we ever talk about that, we don't want to go, we don't want to just go plant a bunch of buildings, Right? We don't want to just plant a bunch of churches that are just buildings where people meet and you open the doors and there's all the people. What we really want is to replicate bodies of Christ in the places and spaces where we aren't 
so that more people can be led to Jesus. But it starts here. Like if we want to do that kind of church planning, it starts here. What does this church look like? Because we don't want to just tag our name on those church plants so that we'll have done our duty, right? And we believe it's all about replication. It starts here. It's all about replication, leading people to Jesus, who lead people to Jesus, making disciples, who make disciples, planting churches that plant churches. How is this church known now? Because if we're going to replicate, it's going to replicate what we've got. And what if we were truly a reconciled people? What if this was really happening? Like people from here and here and here and here, from that background and this background and this political ideology and this whatever, became a people because of the blood of Christ. That's worth replicating because that's going to show people Christ. We're a household. We're a people. We are a priesthood. We are rescued for mission. It's pretty tightly intertwined. And the way we proclaim to the world is by entering into each other's lives and delivering the gospel so that when the world looks, they see. Yes, we want you to go to speak the gospel elsewhere. Yes, we want you to take it to your neighborhood. Yes, we want you to tell people at work about Jesus. But I want you to tell each other about Jesus and hear the gospel from one another because what happens here is going to best proclaim Christ to our community. A people... And so the, the, the way we proclaim uh, to the world is by entering into each other's lives and delivering the gospel. So when the world looks in, they see a people who weren't a people who are now a people, a people who once did not have mercy, but now have mercy and are giving mercy, right? It's how we proclaim the excellencies of Christ to each other is how Christ's excellencies will be proclaimed to Augusta through Redemption Church. That's it. And so the, the charge is to enter into each other's lives. Yeah, go to missional communities, get in DNAs, practice in your home with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your friends, whatever it is. Begin to enter into each other's lives. Be bold, be create, courageous, open up with one another, tell each other the truth. I'm a mess, yet I'm deeply loved by God. It's good news. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for, um, man, I just thank you for Jesus who's made us sons and daughters of God, who's made us brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that you deeply love us even while we're yet sinners, while we're messy. Lord, and we just ask that you continue to push in on us, to continue to experience the good news, freeing us in ways we haven't been freed, to begin to experience life where we haven't experienced life, so that we have experience of the gospel affecting our life in all areas, and we have lots of good things to talk about and to tell others. Lord, make Redemption Church a place of gospel-fluent people, a place of people changed by the gospel who are reconciled to each other by the gospel so that the world looks in to see what's happening and they find Christ. Lord, let us be Christ to Augusta. Let us be Jesus to our community. May your Holy Spirit work as the message is proclaimed to bring more people into the family of God.
We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.